again Yo, is it that wrong? I'm making a song, I'm taking it back For the platform that I formed You should chop it and transform I run the reservoir, the predator Like a hungry carnivore When I'm breaking through these heavy doors This is Desert Storm A metaphor to show Hello, my name is Francisco Escobar And welcome to Conversamos Today, we're going to speak about the status of the Democratic Party. Before we begin, I'd like to introduce you to our panel. Ocio Gonzalez, Daniel Cordona, Danielle Perez-Martinez, and Nicolette Ibarra. Now, with what we know of the Democratic Party, especially over the past 12 years, should we stay and progress within, or move on and establish a party of our own? I, it seems like the Latino community has always kind of coalesced around the Democratic Party. Um, and I, you know, there's nothing really to show that that's going to change anytime soon. Um, now there's definitely, in my personal view, many things that need to change in the democratic party for, for, you know, I think the next generation of Latinos and even current Latinos, uh, to, uh, if the democratic party wants to kind of keep that, that coalition, um, you know, in the last election, the democratic party has really underperformed with, with Latino voters and even getting out potential Latino voters, I think, has, has, has been one of the biggest issues of the Democratic Party. And, and I think now, you know, I think rightfully a lot of, a lot of Latino voters are, are kind of fed up with, with the Democratic Party, and I think very rightfully so. And, um, and I think that if the Republicans kind of step up their game, I think that there's great opportunity for them to, to kind of grab a lot of, of the Democratic base. And I, I'm assuming we're going to talk about this later, but, you know, there's a lot of opportunity for for the Latino party to kind of shift. And- I think that there needs to be, um, alongside the creation of another or other parties, um, reform in the, in the political system. Like for instance, the electoral college, you know, how could Trump have won, even though he won less of the popular vote than, the, than his opponent, Hillary Clinton? And, um, and also if we're talking about a third party or more, um, you know, then we're talking about the possibility of coalition politics, and that's kind of unheard of in the United States. So that's something that people have to um, work around that idea. Um, you know, it's something normal in other countries, in their political systems, but not all in the U.S. And, and maybe this has to do or not has to do with, with the topic at hand. I think that in some way it may you know, um, campaign finance reform, that's another issue. And so there are several issues to work around the idea of, a, of, of, of um, an opening for other political parties. So I have like an ongoing constant debate with, with myself. And obviously this is a conversation that I have all the time with my community and people who, you know, who were, you know, very, you know, in support of Bernie Sanders, like I was, like, I'm not, you know, like I'm very open about my support for him. And how dedicated I was from 2016 up until, you know, you know, this year on him as the most progressive, as the most um, ideal candidate for the common people, for the people who, you know, who are working class, who are lower middle class, who, you know, who, you know, who are minorities and people who actually need a voice to be heard. Um, He was the ideal candidate for me. So once he declared that he was suspending his campaign, again, um, it's one of those conversations like where I have to reflect and realize and, and think about of where, what, would, what am I going to do in November? Because um, back in 2016, I obviously voted for Hillary Clinton because I really wanted, you know, I didn't want Donald Trump to win. But then I'm seeing that we're have, we have Joe Biden 
and you know they're we're, we're we're back at the lesser of two evils kind of platform when it comes to politicians and you know polit you know presidential candidates and i'm i'm tired of that i'm tired that i have to vote for somebody who will tolerate me in this country who will tolerate my family who will tolerate some people um someone who had his hands in you know deportations during the obama administration um so these are things that i'm constantly my mind is always wrapping around like do i like am i going to give in and vote for for joe biden or am i going to go and you know think about what is another option um, that is not the Democratic Party. And is that realistic from now until November? Or is this something that we continue to plan and grow? So when, you know, the next four years comes around, we will be prepared, um, you know, to hopefully make some kind of change. So that's kind of where I am right now. It's, yeah, it's, it's something that I'm like battling with, like on a daily basis. Which, um, Wisconsin voted for was it is it considered a red state or a blue state right now? It's a swing state, so oh. right now it's it's blue. Um, but a couple of years ago it was red. It's it's it leans more towards Republican. Um, we have a Democratic governor, but he also isn't like, in my opinion, like the most progressive Democratic governor as well. So that's also another you know conversation about like the difference. Um, the, the the different paths or different places, like how far left are you in the Democratic Party? And that's also another, you know, issue as well. I, I think it's really unrealistic if we were to even consider a third party for the Latino, you know, the, the Latino voting bloc. I think, you know, if you look at the Green Party and the Libertarians, right, one of the major, the two major third parties uh, political parties in the U.S. they they really don't have any say in the political you know in the political uh, in the political scene and 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 it's because the U.S. just wasn't you know everybody knows this this U.S. was not built for another party and whether we like it or not I I, per, I don't really like it I don't really like that I only have two main options if I'm really want to realistically not waste you know not waste my vote um but you know I, I you know Trump had a rally not too long ago in Southern Florida and and he was really targeting a lot of the evangelical Latino vote. And that's something that isn't really talked about a lot is, is the kind of very religious Latino community that I think a lot of the Democrats kind of assume is going to fall on the left. And, and I think that they're, they're up for, they're up for grabs. I think that the fact that Trump got 29% of the vote, Latino vote in 2016, I think speaks a lot, you know, it speaks to the fact that, um, that, that one, we're not, you know, we're the, the Latino uh, community is not, you know, we can't, you can't paint it with a broad, with a broad brush, right? There's, there's a huge spectrum of, of individuals that identify as Latino and, and don't fit with the democratic party. Um, so yeah, I mean, so, so, you know, I, I think that again, if the democratic party doesn't step their game up, I think they have a really, I think the Republicans have a great chance of picking them up. If, if, and, and personally, I, I don't feel any, any sort of personal belonging in the Democratic Party. I've been a Democrat all my life, um, but I consider myself a centrist now because I feel like I, one, I don't belong. I feel like I, I, feel like I don't belong in the Republican Party, at least the Republican Party of, of, of now. But uh, 
the, the infighting and, and the purity tests of the left don't really fit my agenda also. So I'm kind of one of those individuals that, that both parties, I feel like don't play to, right? Rather than, you know, rather than not playing to the individuals that you've already won ideologically, you know, playing to the individuals that you haven't won ideologically, I think is a better play. I think that you made some valid points in regards to a national, um, at the national level elections. But if we look at a more local state level, when it comes to parties, we have seen, and you know, not like very commonly, but we do see that third parties or not, that's not democratic or not Republican, been able to hold offices. So part of the conversations that I have with, you know, with a lot of people in the community here in, you know, Madison and Chicago is how we can get more Latinos in local, you know, political positions and make that community impact on that more on that community level and then hopefully support them if they were to ever to pursue something at a higher degree because obviously we have to change it from the inside out if the third party option isn't, you know, isn't one of the options that we have. So I think that there is a possibility, just not at the national level at this point, but we can do it locally. I think that that she's right. Um, that that you you might see it more at the local level. I remember hearing years back about La Raza Unida Party, um, which I think had more of a presence in the southwestern states, and it I, I don't see much much of its presence in in I don't hear about it much anymore. And it was, of course, um, um, Latino-based, largely Mexican-American. And, um, um, you know, I'm, I'm for empowering the Latino community and the other community also, the LGBT community, which is the one that I belong to, trans. Um, but if it's like a national political party or something that's, you know, at a larger level, um, I don't feel so right about it kind of just um, 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 uh, mainly identifying with, with one ethnicity. I mean, that's okay, that's important, but to, that it also be inclusive of, of others. And um, just based on ethnic identity, I don't know if that's enough to carry a lot of weight uh, at a national level. I think it's also important, the intersectional issues that, that, that are important to the Latino community and others as well, such as immigration and, and other stuff. And um, I've had a life both in the U.S. and in Mexico, um, largely in the state of California and, in, and across the border in Tijuana. And, um, you know, immigration is a big issue. And of course, I'm LGBT and there's other issues that come along with, with um, um, that identity or community. I supported Obama for both terms. I, I like his agenda a lot, I think, in comparison to the two Republicans that ran against him for, for his first two terms. Um, I don't, you know, I, I, can, I see a lot of the Latino community now kind of speak out against the Obama deportations and, and you know, the so-called deporter in chief um, that, you know, I don't, and, and I, it's, just, it's just because of the purity test. I, I think, I think that's, that's really the only reason. I don't think there's much substance to it in the sense that a lot of the community did not speak out of it or not much of the community spoke out against it back then than they are doing now. Um, and, and again, I, there are many things that the Obama administration did not do well on specifically towards the Latino community, of course, but, but I think it would be unfair to characterize him and, and kind of characterize Biden in, in the sense that they're not, they weren't good to the Latino community or, or because of the immigration issue, you know, that 
we kind of have to hold them against it or, or, or something like that. Um, I, I don't, I don't think that at all. Um, and, and, and yeah, and yeah, I, I mean, I don't, I don't personally think immigration is that immigration affects immigration policy affects my family and my, my close individuals close to me very personally. Um, but if, I mean, I think Latinos for the 2018 midterms, when they were polled, uh, the three top issues that were important to them were uh, healthcare, jobs, um, and the economy, um, and education. Sorry, education, jobs, and and healthcare. Um, the fact that immigration wasn't top three, I think, kind of shows uh, the Latino community, Latinos community's interest as a whole, kind of shifting away from the very typical, you know, immigration is really our number one issue uh, to more, I think, multifaceted much more multidimensional. Um, and I think education is one that, that isn't talked enough in the Latino community. And I think that, I think that it should. I don't know if like immigration is not one of the top ones and I don't know who they pulled for that. I'd, that'd be something interesting. I would be interested in seeing just because, um, I'm, I'm heavily involved in the immigration community. Um, my husband's undocumented. He's a DACA recipient. Um, so he's also, you know, an activist and within like the Madison community as well. And, um, and we also, you know, do a lot of work in, in Chicago as well when it comes to immigration reform. But I guess it depends on like where, where you are in the U.S., what communities you're associated and affiliated with. And um, for me personally, it's, it is a big issue. Look at all the, you know, all the bans, the travel bans, the, the current green card bans that are happening with um, with Trump, the rescind, like the rescinding DACA is something that could possibly happen this year. Um, if, if, you know, the, if the Supreme court gets to it, these are, these are issues, um, that are starting to have a domino effect that maybe it wasn't maybe in 2018, like a, a big, a, the biggest issue, but like now it's becoming yeah, a ripple effect, like one, one ban and one executive order and one court order. And all these things are just becoming such a big thing because rescinding DACA is going to be a really big issue. You know, that, that's millions of like DACA recipients losing their, 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 their job, their right to go to work, their right to go to school, their right to be here, you know, like that's something that, Maybe no one really talks about, maybe it's a different community that doesn't talk about it, but I know that that is something that I am currently like working on. If, it, if it's not, you know, politically affiliated with the presidential campaign, I'm doing a lot of work, you know, with, um, with asylum seekers, with DACA recipients. It's, it's just something that um, happens every day, that that's, everybody needs help. It's, it's just, it is a big issue. I mean, it's going to affect a lot of people including tax-paying DACA recipients, you know, so. It definitely is a big issue. Um, and I think it always has been. And I think it really is going to be if, if nothing serious is, is, is taken in terms of legislative steps. Um, but it, it's the idea that immigration in general is not at the spotlight as it once used to be. And, it, and you could argue that that's a good or a bad thing. I think that that's personally a good thing. I think that there are other political issues that should be in the forefront, not just immigration when it comes to the Latino voting bloc. Um, and, and I think that's, and again, I think that's just a consequence. That's a consequence that the democratic party has, has taken is, is when, when you have candidates that when it's their turn to speak to the Latino community and the first thing out of their mouths, and really the only thing out of their mouths is immigration reform. And that's something that every admin, every democratic 
major democratic political uh, candidate has promised and have failed upon. I think I think a lot of people rightfully get tired of hearing that and and want to hear other issues that affect them um, also at a personal level, like education, like healthcare, um, um, which which are topics that are talked about. I just don't think that they're talked about when speaking to the Latino community. Immigration is also tied in with education and healthcare because of the inaccessibility that they have. So whether or not it actually is on the spotlight and people are talking about immigration, it is a side-by-side -side issue with the issues that you're talking about. So it is affecting these, you know, these groups of people, these, you know, these undocumented immigrants are, they're undocumented, documented people who don't, who are not U.S. citizens yet. It's still tied in there somehow. I'm just trying to figure out like where you got that information from that immigration is not a topic or if it's not something I would love for you to share that for me, like outside of like, you know, the, the conversation, because that's something that I really, I'm having a hard time grasping on. Both of your perceptions, um, 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 make it visit more visible to me. You know, you, you, you each, the perception of each of you two is, 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 is um, different from each other. And that what makes visible to me is the fact that the, the, the question that comes to my mind is, is there really a Latino community or is it, you know, many Latino communities? Um, um, because, you know, we may be a category, we may have a lot in common, but there are so many differences between different segments of our community. No, I agree with you, Nicolette. I think that we're all just involved in very different, you know, micro groups or micro communities within the larger Latino community. And some of us, you know, so like identify differently. Like at one time I associated myself as like a Chicana, like a, as like a, like a true Chicana. And that's has always been a constant change for me because there's been things that the, the Chicano movement itself, or, you know, things that the United Farm Workers Union did at one point that I was not really, I didn't, I didn't align myself with. So it's a constant, like, Am I Mexican? Am I Salvadoran? Am I Latina? Am I, you know, am I Chicana? It's, it's a, it's like, I haven't found that identity just yet where I feel like I belong or I believe 100% with that, like, with that group. And do, if I like, you know, being as like being called that myself, you know, just based on these like cookie, like cookie cut fit of like what I'm supposed to be, um, according to our society. Just speaking to the Latino community as a voting block or as, a, um, as something that can be put in a category, I am wondering, I have questions whether we do have some interests that are, can be reflected in national legislation. Uh, and I agree that immigration seems to be the token issue, but a lot of us are really concerned about questions of prosperity and questions of economics and how to um, how to really access uh, resources for upward mobility. And I, I you know, I, I think I told you, Francisco, that I don't really identify as a Democrat. And I, I really, I'm trying to look at politics by looking at the issues, looking less at parties, looking at less at individuals. I mean, these days it's easy to be a Democrat because what you have, you just have no alternative on the right. You really have no alternative on the right. The right is not offering any options, any real credible policies of any sort. So um, it's it's kind of the common sense move to throw our chips in with um, the Democrats. But I wonder if 
if there is an advantage to being courted by the Democrats and not taken for granted, not just getting some sound bites about immigration, but getting um, some, some concrete policies around uh, issues of prosperity and issues of upward mobility and education and uh, some real concessions outside of just the immigration and DACA issues, which I agree are extremely important. But um, like this other gentleman said, um, they're, they're not the only ones. So what, what are the other issues, policy points that we can, that we can, um, that we can advocate for outside of the immigration issue? Is it um, criminal justice reform and how that impacts our community? Uh, is it questions of larger, more philosophical questions about the size of government and their presence in our communities and how they handle, uh, how culturally competent they are to, uh, to work within our communities, um, you know, what, what other issues are, are surfacing for people um, that, that are relevant to the community? I personally um, um, felt happy about, about the Bernie plan, Medicare for All, I think it was called. Um, universal payer system, I think, is another term that, that I've heard. Um, Although there are lots of obstacles in the United States to, to get that uh, moving along. In fact, what Obama did accomplish has been, uh, has been dismantled, dismantled piece by piece during the current administration. But maybe with the um, pandemic that we're, we're going through right now, maybe, you know, and I read this in a comment somewhere in some, in some post on Facebook um, that was talking about this issue. Somebody said, don't be surprised that, that, that we'll, we will get uh, universal, uh, what's it called, the um, single-payer system or Medicare for All yeah. from a Republican administration because of, the, um, because of all the things going on with the pandemic and the response to it. And, you know, of course, um, the longer it lasts, the, the, um, <laughs> the bigger the changes we, we might be seeing. And I think that's a kind of a revelation during this time that government has decided to take on this issue. Uh, it seems that there's a lot of need. And so they're going into their pockets and basically saying, we can solve this by pumping money into the economy. And the question in a lot of folks' mind is, well, could you do that with poverty and with inadequate health care in this country? Could you also tackle those issues? Um, and I think, you know, I'm coming from a kind of a center-right, almost libertarian persuasion. And the way that I've seen government really kind of um, take very decisive action these days, as, as, um, as, as silly as some of the things that are coming out of the administration are, but they're making big moves. My point is they're making big moves. And it really makes me think, well, isn't it time for big moves in other areas? And what are, what are politics going to look like um, at the end of this? Um, I'm someone who kind of cast my lot with the Biden camp early on, just because I really believe that you need to you need to win if you want to make change. You need to uh, you need to govern if you want to make change. Um, but I think out of the this, the big lesson out of this whole thing is that you know the government does have the power to take drastic action in addressing a lot of these issues. And so what's what's at the top of the priority? list for a Biden administration and, and what should it be? What should we all be advocating for at the top, top of the priority list for a Biden presidency? 
know, the government really has taken a step up um, because of the pandemic in terms of healthcare. Um, and, and, and like the gentleman said, um, the, the amount of, there's just been a lot of money really been pumped at the government, at the federal government, um, kind of make, assuming that that's going to help or that's going to, you know, cause the change that, that a lot of in, individuals are looking for. Um, and, and, you know, I, I think we do have to step back and kind of, you know, and kind of analyze, is this the best, you know, is this going to, is this what the future of healthcare is going to look like, right? Um, a lot of taxpayer money going to kind of a federally mandated um, um, single payer program. Um, and, and is that beneficial for, for, for our community? Um, I think there's, I think there are a lot of things to be said on both sides. I personally do not think that a single payer is something that that is feasible in the U.S. It was never feasible in Vermont when it was tried to pass. Um, I doubt that it would be something that's feasible uh, as a, as a federal program. Um, but but you know I am I do believe that that more needs to be done. That healthcare needs to be made more accessible, especially to a lot of individuals in our community that that are not that that don't have that that privilege of having healthcare. Um, and, and I think that a public option is not the final solution, but it's definitely the best way, the best first step uh, into, into, uh, into changing healthcare. I, I, I by no means think that healthcare needs a radical change or, or needs to be kind of flipped on its head and, 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 and you know, re, kind of remade from, 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 from nothing. I think that Obamacare was a great step. And I think it's a shame that the public option was, was, was struck down. And that's definitely, like I said before, that's definitely the first step that I think needs to happen. Medicare for all, that was what I really supported. Um, <clears throat> just the accessibility for everybody to be able to have access um, to, and, you know, to health, you know, to health insurance, to healthcare, to like access to anything. Because um, the biggest thing that I, you know, like I'm very, very fortunate to have healthcare. But it takes like literally one third of like my paycheck, and you know, ideally, in some and for other people, that that that's a that's a big chunk of money. Like I'm fortunate enough that that's not something that would that does that impacts like the other payments that I have, like with the house, with the car, with you know, with other things. But um, but for other people, like you know, that that's like to to pay so much, you know, for insurance. Um, and then have all these deductibles that they have to meet and then some and you know some plans and some you know medications that are not covered by these privatized insurance um that are necessary you know you know our latino community or you know that there's a high rate of diabetics and you know getting insulin is very expensive it's something it's really hard sometimes to fight with it i have you know family members and i have people in my community that it's just really really hard to afford insulin sometimes or get to be seen by doctors when it gets very severe so for me, it really hits home when it comes to these things and as well as like mental health um, and the accessibility to mental health because a lot of, you know, a lot of us also suffer from a lot of like, you know, mental crisis um, depending on your walk of life and, you know, your situation. So um, for me, having that access and having, you know, be able to be accessible in a way where it, it you don't have to sacrifice some like a bill or food or something like that, I feel like is very important. Um, but I also feel like if you want to be that person that wants to pay like $500 a month for your insurance, go ahead, be my guest. But for me, I don't want to do that. Like I'd rather be just accessible to everybody.
There is, you know, there is really no evidence that shows that a country like the U.S. could even pull something like that. I mean, the closest example to a federally mandated healthcare program is the VA, right? That that's federal healthcare for a specific group of the population for veterans, and and, and the fact that everybody speaks, including myself, of VA reform, is because the program works so poorly. And and it's not to say that that you know quote unquote universal healthcare coverage wouldn't be something that economically benefits a lot of the population there are also negative externalities to having universal healthcare right the, the idea of the idea of making the idea of putting everybody under one program like this whole one size fits all approach is is not it's just not feasible i think the amount of taxpayer money that would go towards something like that where it Again, that that money has to go somewhere, and if we choose to to funnel it to to a federal healthcare program, there are other parts of the economy um, that are just not going to receive the funding that I would like to see. Um, and again, I, I think you can make an economic case that that it would be per capita slightly better in theory. Now, the thing is that once you mandate something like that, once you put into into effect a federal program like that, the kind of effects that a lot of people theorize about are just not going to be true. You know, I think the the argument coming from the Medicare for all folks um, really is it's based on how inefficient the current system is and how uh, there is a lot of very high costs that are are being put on the shoulders of the taxpayer. Um, you know, employers pay part of healthcare. Um, and, and that ultimately perhaps your, you know, per capita cost might go up, but at the end of the day, folks would have more access to affordable healthcare. Um, and I think that that is a, that is a reasonable end goal to have. And I, for what I've seen, it looks like it works in some places. I don't know that the U.S. is uh, unique in any way so that, that it might not work in the U.S. Um, but what, what I would say about all that is the, that uh, the president doesn't, doesn't make the laws. Congress does. And Congress is elected by people. And in the, the broad population of this, of this country, I don't think is on board with a radical step like Medicare for all right now. Um, I would love to see a public option being out there competing with private insurances and showing results and showing uh, decreased costs, uh, showing quality care and, and kind of answering a lot of those questions about costs and quality of care. And uh, then we can move into, uh, into the idea of a, of, of um, single payer. Um, but I, I, I just don't feel like politically we're ready. Um, it makes some sense. I just don't feel like we're politically ready to make that move. And I, I don't know that the Congress uh, right now would, would be able to even really pass that. I think it would be a big talking point on the right to attack um, a Democratic president if that was uh, his position or her position. And so... I just the the pragmatics of politics right now. I feel like it probably would not pass Congress a a sweeping healthcare for all initiative right now. Also, pragmatism, like you like you said, but also 
it's the idea of incremental change and incremental progress. I think a lot of individuals in my community find that hard to fathom. The idea that we, it's not about, it's not about everything. It's not about that having the end goal now. It's about what can we feasibly do to get us a step closer to the end goal. And I think for a lot of us, the end goal is pretty similar. We want, you know, we don't want healthcare to be a burden on, on, on your paycheck, on, on your, on your health, on your expenses, on your economic status in general. However, when, when a lot of people begin to demand everything now, it takes away from the individuals that are saying, look, I, I want, I believe the same thing that you do. However, I just think that the best way to go forward now in the lifetime that we live in, in the generation that we're today, that we should take it step by step, you know, change this, change that law, pass this, rather than kind of focusing on the end goal and fantasizing the end goal and kind of wanting to all of that to pass immediately. Biden's argument is you elect him and the incremental change occurs, right? You know, however long it feasible. I mean, Warren said that a plan like hers would take five years to implement. I mean, that's five years of waiting time in order to try to implement something that may or may not work. Um, I think a public option is much easier to implement. I don't know if Biden has talked about whether it would take one or two years or his entire first term to complete. I just think that logically it's much easier to pass something like a public option than to get everybody. And again, it, it is a waiting game. It is a waiting game. And there are, I understand the argument that you know a lot of people have waited a long time to have health care as, as a right, if, that, if that's what you want to call it. But we're gonna, those people are going to keep waiting if we begin to play the game of it's either all or nothing, right? It's either this or nothing, right? It's either this or you're just not on my side, right? Then those people, you're, you're doing a disservice to those individuals. Those individuals are going to have to wait even longer for maybe the next, uh, the next election cycle, right? Another four, another eight years. I think that what Biden's offering is, is, is logical and it's, and it's okay. They're asking individuals to wait just a little longer for change. It's going to be very meaningful. I'm trying to, process the conversation and what to say because I'm in a boat where a part of my life is like I'm fucking tired of like waiting and that's why like I feel like Bernie was my guy and it's like in all like if you want to call it an all or nothing go for it but I I feel like as someone who has you know has was born and raised in the United States has seen my community still be inconsidered, being just tolerated and not actually being served justice since before I was even born and seeing little increments of change, like not even increments, like we're still, like we're still far back when it comes to social justice, economic justice, healthcare justice, education justice, racial justice, you know, like all these justices, like, 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 I don't know what else to say because it's just, it's just really frustrating to have to hear that I like to hear those kinds of things when I'm just like, I like, we, you know, black and brown folks have been waiting long enough to, to see something and we're not seeing it, you know, happen. Like we're not seeing us, us being a priority to them. We're not being seen as a priority to the democratic party. We're not being seen as a, as a priority to the government with legislation. Like if you want to look at all the track records of all these people, of all these politicians, including Warren and Biden, like these, these people were never on our side. So these are things that I'm just like, you know, it's like, that's why it's like really hard for me to process this 
and try to like come up with some kind of answer right now because it's just like I'm very emotionally driven right now when it comes to like these kinds of answers because it's like we need to see something happen we're in 2020 we're not in the we're not in the 60s anymore this like we're like the the waiting game like I need fucking promises at this point. Like I need, I need, like, I need you to tell me that you're going to do something for my community and not just say, well, let's see in five years and then have to have to vote for someone that I, that, you know, that, that I don't think I believe in that. I don't think they give a, they give a shit about me. Like that's the kind of like, that's where I stand. Like I need, I want to vote for someone who gives a, who gives, you know, a damn about me as a woman, as a woman of color as a woman of an immigrant background, as a woman who's, you know, who helps an immigrant community who don't have voices in like the political system, you know, in the right to vote. Like I just, it's just, it's for me waiting is just, it's it's like, it's the last thing that I want to hear with all due respect. Like that's why I don't want to hear that anymore. So, so question, do you, do you not think that you would be waiting under a Bernie administration? Do you think that a Bernie... But I know that he would change things. I know that he has my, my, like, what, like, my, his, my interests in his heart, but not for Biden, not for Trump. Those were people that I don't think had my interests at heart, like, as a, as a, as a woman, as an immigrant, as, you know, you know, as a woman of color. That doesn't, that didn't stand out with me with Biden at all ever um so for me it's always been like bernie always made it known and he made it you know that these are the people i care about these are the people that i'm fighting for and his track record you know his voting track record his bill track record follows behind that and i don't think that that is necessarily true for other democratic presidential candidates i did not feel that way about them and I didn't feel that like that hope that I had that I had with like Bernie Sanders. No, I wanted to say that, you know, I, I hear you loud and clear. And I, I definitely feel like the notion of waiting for what should be considered a, a right is kind of a slap in the face, especially since there are folks simply because of economic advantage that don't really have to do any waiting. And, you know, on principle, I hear you completely about what you're saying. Um, you remember what happened when Obama uh, care was passed? One of the big sort of uh, drawbacks of Obamacare, one of the kind of, I don't know what you want to call it, what the right word is, the sort of feedback or um, unintended consequences of, of, is that it really fired up conservatives in the country. Yes. And it could fire, it, it really kind of gave birth to the Tea Party movement. Uh, that is a very well-organized and very passionate movement. Um, uh, these are some of the people that are protesting right now about wanting to go, like wanting to open up the economy and whatnot. So um, they're, they're, they're driven by pure passion and by pure sort of gut feeling, kind of like the Bernie basis, you know, in a way. Um, and what ended up happening was that, you know, Democrats lost a lot of ground in Congress. And ultimately... And, you know, you could say Hillary was, was not a great candidate, and I would agree with that, but it really fired up the right to come out and, and show support and um, maybe ignore what the Russian interference was. was you know, I, I do believe that was part of Trump's advantage was that he had some uh, shady business going on uh, under the table. But um, 
I just keep coming back to the idea that it's Congress that passes the laws and a president can set priorities and, you know, a president can veto uh, bills, but it's Congress. And Congress is kind of a reflection of, of like a consensus of the people, ideally, or ideally. I do think there's a lot of money in politics. There's a lot of corruption in politics. And there's definitely a lot of kind of using different communities for talking points and for, for political talk. Um, but at the end of the day, the people that get elected, you know, be it senators or representatives, they're being elected by people in their state. And I think the, the waiting game is even more painful than, than we think. It's, it's the game of educating folks about not only what's right, but what's good. Because, uh, you know, a more accessible, more affordable health care is not just right, but it's good for our economy, for our communities, for our development as a nation. Better education is better for everyone. And I think it takes, it's, it's painful, but it takes like a whole generation to get people to understand that, that if like your neighbor is better educated, if your neighbor has more economic opportunity, you know, he's just more likely to contribute to, the, to, to your community and to like not break into your house. And, you know, um, so I, I think it's frustrating how slow and how, how big a ship the, the political system is. And I will, I will say finally that I think what Bernie's biggest contribution has been bringing these things up to the forefront and really articulating the problems and, and the absurdity of some of these issues. Um, and I would just say, you know, voting has meaning when we do it together. And I, I just hope that folks can just come out and vote for Biden. I mean, Biden is the guy in right now. And let's let's try to get let's try to take one tiny step forward, and that means getting Trump out of the White House. That guy never belonged there to begin with. Let's get him out of there, and then let's intensify this conversation about what we need, what makes sense, what's good for the economy, what's right for our people, um, and, uh, and and let's go from there. I feel like you know I hear you completely that Biden is is not an inspiring figure in some in some respects. Certainly not um, the same way that Bernie was or is. Um, and we, you know, just go with kind of the, the pragmatics of it, the, the mathematics of it. Uh, and if you don't feel inspired, I'm just kind of inviting you vote, vote together so we can make, make it a meaningful election and get this dude out of there. Because this dude is bad news. And you wouldn't say that Biden isn't a bad guy either? No, I'm honestly, like, it's an honest opinion. Like, are, do you don't yeah. think Biden has, has skeletons in his closet either? Like, he's not an ideal yeah. candidate for the Democratic Party either. And the DNC was not willing to budge on that either. So that's the other thing, too. It's like, yeah, we can vote in people in Congress and stuff, but the DNC, at the end of the day, decides who they get to elect and who they really want to fight for to be yeah. the presidential candidate. And He's the only well, option. He, I mean, there was other, there were other candidates that I felt were as moderate as Biden that could have really been good, but they, they ended up with Biden, and he's, yeah, he's. I not, hear you. I mean, not. I think, you know, I think that the the Democratic Party is a large umbrella. You know, I'm I live in uh, suburban Minnesota right now, pretty much surrounded by folks who identify as Democrats. But they, they have a lot of questions about, you know, increased taxation in any way or, you know, they have a lot of suspicion about any kind of uh, ideology, you know, 
talking about sort of free things or whatever. These folks are moderates. And it comes down to like sort of, you know, be a judge of character. I know he has a lot of blemishes in his record and his legislative record. Uh, you know, it's too many to count with both hands and both feet. Um, I guess one thing, and it's kind of the cheap argument, but it's, it's true that if Barack Obama thought he was good enough to be his VP and, and, and he, could, he could roll with them, he's good enough for me. And, you know, when you hear the guy talk, I feel like you have to just kind of make a judgment of character. And he doesn't come across as like a snake. You know, he comes across as someone who's played the game long enough to have made a lot of mistakes and to have been on the wrong side of history many times. But he doesn't come across to me as like a snake, like Trump. He, Trump is a snake, you know. And so that's, that's what I'm going for. Again, not super inspiring, but also feeling like, no, nah, I wouldn't, I would say with him it's more gray. It's not good or bad. It's more gray. And, um, you know, it's certainly, the, I guess the lesser of two evils argument is kind of a cynical argument to make. But, you know, I'd rather have Biden up there. Then and, and I think it can be energizing. I think when we get rid, you know, imagine like if you go, let's say, and I'm sorry if this is a true story for any of you, but let's say if you have like a tumor and you go to the hospital and it's removed successfully, don't you feel like a sense of like, wow, that's amazing. And you just feel catharsis. I think removing Trump democratically through the, through the process is going to energize people and it's going to get people thinking about, about the issues. Back to the issues, you know, not, not so much about personality or, or people themselves. I agree with um, that point that you brought up, that um, supporting him because he's the lesser of two evils. And I would add, because those are the only two options. Um, I find a lot of things about him that I don't like. Um, but, but, you know, I repeat that, the lesser of two evils. And, you know, maybe he has something good in his heart and all that, although some of his errors are, are, are really horrible to many people. Um, um, or his stances, I should say. And, um, but that's, that's the reason that I would support him because he's the only option to Trump. And, and you know, um, it's very important that Trump uh, be thrown out. Well, not, not thrown out literally, but democratically being, um, being removed from office. And which brings up another point that, 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 that I've, I've seen on, on, on Facebook and some of the articles that are shared there. Um, Biden was saying that there's a possibility that Trump may want to um, uh, postpone or cancel the election, something like that. And, um, and that's related to that other issue of the Supreme Court um, authorizing the the vote in the recent vote in, in I believe in Wisconsin that it be um, in person rather than mail ballot or something like that and putting a lot of people at risk I think some people wound up yeah. getting um, COVID from from being in that line Seven or whatever people and in Wisconsin. what's that Seven yeah Wisconsin, in Wisconsin. yeah mm -hmm. yeah yeah and and um, so these are related issues and um, so that's the persuasive argument for me. He's the lesser of two evils, although, although there are others that I would um, um, be happier with. I completely agree. I, I, I am much happy. I'm, I would be much happier with another candidate. I've liked many other candidates. Joe Biden was not my top choice. I do think it's a little unfair to compare, to make the assumption that Biden is evil. And if you're making the argument that Biden is the lesser of two evils, 
I think I think it's more. I would agree more with, with that when Hillary was 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 running. I really did not like Hillary for many reasons. But to compare Biden again, Biden has his blemishes, like you said, and Biden has voted not in not in favor of of some bills that I would have liked or voted in the other side. But the same could be said for any other candidate. The same could be said with Bernie when it when it comes to gun manufacturers. Uh, the same could be said with Kamala on 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 gun on a uh, marijuana legalization. Every politician has their blemishes. It's just again who speaks for you, who's enthusiastic, or who can just who can win. I I very much support the candidate that I feel like can win, and has more more opportunity to pass the stuff that I'm looking uh, that I'm interested in and that benefits me and my community, uh, rather than a candidate that speaks great and energizes uh, individuals, but doesn't really I feel like doesn't have a probability of either winning or just passing some of the stuff that, that, that he or she uh, uh, promotes. And, and, you know, I mean, and again, Bernie had a great, has a great amount of enthusiasm. But one of his flaws is that he could not turn out the people that really, that he really needed to win. That young base that he was really counting on for him to inch up on Biden on some of these important states in the primary, it just didn't happen. And, and it, you know, unfortunately for him and his campaign, you know, those individuals, the individuals that he counted on the most, the young, the young non-vote, first-time voters, just did not come out in the numbers that they were expecting. And, 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 that, and again, that's the game. That's, that's the game that, that Bernie signed up for. That's the game that all the other candidates signed up for, right? Mm-hmm. Who was going to gain popularity? Who was going to really mobilize the voters needed to, to, to make a win out of the primary and Biden seemed to have won. I, I'm not disappointed. I would have liked someone else, but I think the fact that Biden came out and, and a lot of us really needs to throw their support behind Biden, regardless if he was our first or fifth choice. Well, that's all the time we have right now. Thank you all for coming out for everyone watching at home. Make sure you follow us on our social media platforms until next time. Conversamos. Yeah, yo, is it that wrong? I'm making a song, I'm taking it back for the platform that I formed. You should chop it and transform. I run the reservoir, the predator, like a hungry carnivore. When I'm breaking through these heavy doors, this is desert storm. A metaphor to show I'm equipped and informed. I'm striking with the mega force, I'm lukewarm. Your crew swarms with the fear my lyrics do harm. If you ain't letting a hand, I'm breaking your two arms. So listen. I'm sipping the difference of my mission, I'm craving. I envision these premonitions like raving, I'm gifted. I saved it, now it's time to shift to my haven. My advanced pacing remains in a basement where I'm chasing pavements. 